from my perspective, we choose to be embodied on the planet. We choose to forget uh, about our origins because it makes the world more interesting. Think of it like a, you know, an, an elaborate VR game where you get a meat suit, right? <laughs> it's like, it's that. And why would the all-knowing, all, you know, omniscient being choose to be limited in such a fashion? Well, it slows down manifestation so that you can actually choose differently. You have the time because you're in space time instead of everything happening instantaneously the moment you conceive of it. It slows it down enough that you can consider whether or not it's a good idea, whether or not it's something you want, whether or not this is who you are choosing to be, right? Whether or not this is what you want to create. And it gives you a chance to evolve. Welcome, everyone, to The Ultimate Shift. Join Ephraim Glick and leading figures in business and entertainment as they share their stories of regular people overcoming tremendous obstacles only to achieve happiness, success, and fulfillment. Are you ready to make the ultimate shift in your life? Welcome back to The Ultimate Shift. Uh, today, I'm really excited about our guest. Kelly Sparta is a transformational shaman. Yes. So welcome, Kelly. Thanks. <laughs> is that the first time for that? That is. That is. But, you know, yeah. it was fun. <laughs> yeah, so good start off. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Kelly, and how you got into the transformational shaman studies and and to the point now where you're speaking and teaching around the world uh, at these practices well so that's a that's a longer story I will try and shorten it up for you so the short answer is my mother raised me in the new age movement so I've been doing this since I was about five years old and so uh, not in shamanism but in new age and so I was studied Seth and Ram Dass and Abraham Hicks and J.C. Knight and, you know, you name it. She brought everything home. She brought home Est, which was a precursor to Landmark, if you're familiar with that. Uh, the not kinder, gentler version of Landmark. <laughs> and she brought that home when I was like six. And so I was doing self-hypnosis at 10 and reading tarot cards by 12. And she had me doing psychic development classes and the whole nine yards. And... The shamanism didn't come into play until I was about 30 years old. Uh, I had been living with a group of people who, as it turned out, were all shamans. And, uh, and they did not know so, this going. I didn't. So they had been taking me to these pagan festivals and, and walking me through rituals and stuff. And one of them identified as Wiccan. And so I had been exploring the Wiccan path with her. And the other two just didn't say that they weren't Wiccan. So I just assumed, right? And then one day I went into the basement in our you know, 1900s Victorian house to find something in the middle of the night. And they're, they've got those pull switches in the middle of the room. And I'm like feeling around in the dark, trying to find the pull switch. And I walk through this spider web and I'm like, oh, I do not need whatever is down here this badly. And so I went back upstairs and came down in the morning to get it. And there were no spider webs in the room. And I was like, what? What are you talking about? And, and then I realized that there had been no spider webs on me when I came up the stairs the night before either. And so I 
asked one of the people in my house, I said, what, what's the deal with this? And he said, oh, grandmother spider is calling you. You better listen to her. And I was like, okay, what does that mean? And that's when he started talking to me about shamanism. And he started talking to me about totems and spirit animals and things of that nature. And I was completely uh, flabbergasted to discover that he and the other man who was living in the house were both shamans. And so I was like, okay, I've never heard of this before. You're going to have to orient me because I have no idea. He's like, yeah, you're being called. And this is, you better heed because if you don't, bad things happen. And I'm like, okay. So yeah, yeah, there's, there's a lot of history in shamanism of being, if you don't, if you don't follow the call that, you know, people have told stories of going insane and, and lives falling apart and, you know, things just, you know, as, as these animals pursue them, trying to get them to wake up. And so, yeah. So, and prior to recording, we were talking a little bit, but, and you explained to me kind of what a shaman is. Can you explain to our guests of what is, what is a shaman in comparison to, well, I I don't know what in comparison to maybe, maybe the new age movement that you spoke about that your mother raised you in or, or what we would call a general society. Yeah. So, a shaman, if you think about a shaman in terms of a tribe, and that's usually how they they show up in, in cultural review, uh, they, they generally serve in the role of priest, therapist, medical doctor, and psychic or healer, right? You know, so energy worker, right? Uh, they're the they're the transition point between the spirit world and the ancestors and the and the tribe. And so you wear a lot of hats in shamanism. <laughs> and it's so as opposed to the new age world, the new age world is very much about the energetics. And then it's very interesting. There are like three different worlds that shamanism sort of crosses. And the there's the energetic world where you understand how the other planes work and you understand the astral and you know how to do sort of wandering through those spaces. And maybe you learn how to do some energy work, Right. Uh, healing work, things of that nature. And then there's the magic crowd, which is, you know, the Wiccans and the people doing magic magic and the spell work and whatnot. And then there's the personal growth crowd. And they generally are doing the, you know, I need to do my inner healing, do my own work, that sort of thing. And oddly, even though those things all go together, when you put all those pieces together, you get true transformation not many people actually cross those boundaries. They usually stay in their own little buckets. And so shamanism is the, the, at least the type of shamanism that I do, which is transformational shamanism. I actually cross all three of those buckets. I put all three of those things together and I work on a mental, emotional, spiritual, energetic level, sometimes archetypal level, if we're working in a ritual space, and do all of that together to create transformation for people. That's amazing. So when you're a kid and you're, you're, you know, an eight, 10 year old child, and you're thinking about what you want to do with your life and this, were you interested in, in the, the, the physics of nature and, and, you know, you mentioned the moon, the stars and things like that. Was this always something that you, you had an interest in, or do you feel like this calling came to you out of nowhere more so? And you were like, Oh, Oh gosh. Okay. Now I've, you know, kind of like what your roommate told you at that time, you need to listen to this. 
So I wouldn't say that I, I thought of it as a career path as a child because I never saw anyone modeling that for me, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I saw people teaching classes here and there and whatnot, but it never struck me as a career per se mm-hmm. uh, as a child. It just was part of my life. It's like, you know, other people go to church. This was what, what we did, right? I went to church too, by the way, but with other people. So the the calling to do the work itself was more what happened when I hit my Saturn return when I was 28 years old. And I had built the perfect life for myself. I mean, I had done the American dream checklist. I had the gorgeous husband, the big, beautiful house on the cul-de-sac lock with the dog and the two cars and the successful business. And I was a pillar of my community as a president of a local Habitat for Humanity affiliate. And And, you know, from the outside, my life looked really successful. And inside, I hated my life. I was in a cold war with my husband. I had been burnt out on my work for ages. I was hiding in the the charity work to avoid the fact that I was miserable everywhere else. And I felt lied to because I had done everything I had been told it would take to be successful. And I was still miserable. And so I dumped my whole life. And I sold my house and I divorced my husband and I sold the business and I quit the, the, the charity and I moved out of state to live with these group, this group of people who I met working at the Renaissance Fair. And so my, my former business partner said, you ran off and joined the circus. And I was like, yeah, I kind of did. <laughs> but it was in that moment that I came back to my spiritual self because my ex-husband had been an atheist. And so we had really stepped away from all things spiritual during the time that we were together. And so when I came back, I came back with a vengeance. You know, I got my Reiki master, I got certified shiatsu, you know, I I went and took all these classes, right. And was really sure that this was where I wanted to go. And, and uh, I just didn't know that it would be shamanism at the time. Yeah. So, yeah. When you talk about shamanism, spirituality, and transformational healing, metaphysics, magic, things like that. In the Western civilization culture that we current that we live in here in America or you know some other places, how does that fit into the the Christian narrative, if you will, of you know, as a Western civilized civilization, we think of of God as as uh, and I don't want to paraphrase everyone into this one category, but you know what? what generally speaking, people think of God as, and maybe some of these things as separate things, how, how do you see them and how do they fit into the same box if, if you want to put them in a box? Yeah. And so uh, just like you said, I don't want to speak for everybody. I want to be clear. I don't speak for other shamans. Uh, if you ask a hundred shamans what a shaman is, they'll give you a hundred different answers. So I just want to be clear about that. From my perspective, I see God as the universe. It is all that is and we are it and it is us. And so, you know, from a, if I'm going to translate that into Christian language, uh, Christ said, you know, we are all the children of God, right? And so mm-hmm. if you look at it from that perspective, you know, you are a part of God through, if you're a child, then you've got the DNA of your parent, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you think of it from that perspective, we are the children and we are God, because we are the DNA of that, right? 
And so okay. it's it's both and uh, not so much in a physical construct sense of that for me. It's very much an energetic construct. And so from my perspective, we choose to be embodied on the planet. We choose to forget uh, about our origins because it makes the world more interesting. Think of it like a, you know, an, an elaborate VR game where you get a meat suit, right? <laughs> it's like, it's that. And why would the all-knowing, all, you know, omniscient being choose to be limited in such a fashion? Well, it slows down manifestation so that you can actually choose differently you have the time because you're in space time instead of everything happening instantaneously the moment you conceive of it. It slows it down enough that you can consider whether or not it's a good idea, whether or not it's something you want, whether or not this is who you are choosing to be, right? Whether or not this is what you want to create. And it gives you a chance to evolve. Is that part of how what you teach and practice could help the everyday person even if they're not, you know, a, a shaman, but. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The, and it's, it's part of that, that slowing down that understanding uh, your, your spiritual sense and, but also slowing down in the sense of how much I maybe understanding where you're going almost through meditation, but you you're using some different, different twists in there, or is that very different? Yeah. I don't actually work with, I don't do meditation in my practices at all. Uh, I do a, a practice called stillness, but it comes later in our, our in our process. the The initial goal. So the people who come to work with me are people who had not not perfect childhoods, right? So you know they've they've ended up with anxiety and worry and dread and self doubt and inner and outer judgments and and they just they, they don't understand why it's where it is, right? Many of them, most of them, have actually gone to therapy. And they got to the point where therapy stopped working and they're like, okay, well, I'm functional, but I'm not happy. Right. And so that's when they come to me and I work with them first on finding emotional safety, because until you can feel safe on a daily basis, you cannot grow because growth requires leaving your comfort zone. And if you're already so uncomfortable on a regular basis, leaving your comfort zone is just a no-go. You will regret, you'll, you'll, um, uh, resist that really strongly. And so you have to get to that point of emotional safety before you can actually even grow. And so that's all about addressing the fear and the anxiety and the worry and the dread and that stuff. The second piece is that when you come out of these environments that are in, inherently unsafe, emotionally, physically, whatever, for a period of time, uh, for you know, for a length of time, you also lose sense of your identity. Most of my people are empaths, and energetically, that means that they're sharing energy with other people. They're shoving their energies out to the edges of the room or the building or the world to try and make sure that they can see whatever danger is coming their way by feeling everyone and everything that's around them so that mm -hmm. they have an early warning system. But it means that they have no idea where they end and other people begin, right? Oh, and wow. so it's a problem because now you don't know what's yours and you feel unsafe because everybody's inside your field and you have no way to defend against it. And imagine having somebody who's like rageful inside your energy field that you, there's no way to get away from it. Right. 
So the, you know, I teach them about how to pull their energy field in, and that's actually a free download on my website because I think it's so important to people for people, but I teach them about how to do that. And then I also uh, work with them on an energetic level to how, on how can they, how can they uh, keep themselves safe energetically, right? And so when you don't know where you end and other people begin, it becomes a process of really defining yourself for the first time, right? And so it's about claiming your space and setting your boundaries and owning your power and internalizing your sense of value and ultimately learning to love yourself. Those five steps are the steps to solidifying your identity, which also solidifies your energetic container for any any energy work that you're going to be doing in the future. It's where your personal power is held, right? And then is stage three, that which is the thing that most people think about when they go to do personal growth work, is they go, oh, I'm going to go do my shadow work. I'm going to go dig out all my buttons and my triggers, and I'm going to make it all better. But if you don't do those other first two steps first, what you end up doing is either shutting down the process because your self-preservation kicks in or re-traumatizing yourself because you're not stable enough and solid enough to do the work yet. So that's why it's important to do those first two steps first and then go into the shadow work where you go and you dig out all those things, those belief structures and those fears about yourself and the things that you think are ugly and all of that stuff, all those emotions that you never processed and finally let those go so that you can then free yourself up to feel peaceful on a daily basis. I love that. So when you speak of energy, you know, people people tend to think of energy as this thing that that is either one draining them or giving them more energy in a, in a mm-hmm. simple context, if you will. Yeah. Uh, you know, energy to go on a run or I don't have energy to go on a run. When you speak of energy, and, and I feel like this would apply to every person, what is something that's important as far as containing your energy, meaning if let's say you're a very social person, and some people tend to just go out and they give all of their, is, is this the same type of energy, whereas then you come back home and your cup is empty type of energy? Or is this a different, more in-depth spiritual energy that we may not even be aware of at all times? The answer is yes, both. Okay. So at the basic level, it is the the energy that you give away and the energy that you allow to come back in. Most of the people who end up empty uh, are ones who are giving and giving, but refuse to receive, right? And so that ends up with you being empty. And that's that's part of the work that we do as part of that process of defining yourself and claiming yourself and things like that. And the there's another level of the energy, which is a deeper level, which is being able to utilize energy on another broader scale. So for instance, uh, in doing healing work or in visioning, you know, going and doing journey work and seeing the future or, you know, seeing the state of whatever's going on or doing intuitive work for like, I do corporate intuitive work and things like that. So if people are looking to make a business decision and they're trying to decide which way to go, I can do reading the timelines and stuff like that. So, okay. So, so give us an example of that. Like, let's say someone is struggling with a big financial decision, maybe, or business decision, it doesn't have to be financial. And they have two options on the table and they're just not sure which one to go. Are you saying that there is a practice or a way that you can see more or less past your current thing that's right in front of you to get the act, to get the right answer? Yes. 
And yeah. what does that look like? Can you break that down? Yeah. So I'll give you an example. Uh, I had a client who was looking at partnering with a family business and it the partnership would have required him to close up shop where he was and move to another state and relocate his whole family and the whole nine yards. And and he called me up and he's like, you know, I think I'm going to do this, but I just I want you to check and make sure that this is going to be OK. And so I did. I, I checked into it. And what I did was I checked into the energy of the business that he was joining. And there was something that didn't feel right. And I said, you know, there's a problem here. I said, one of the family members is stealing money and the business is not actually stable and it's about to collapse and you need to not do this. And I said, you know, you need to ask the people because it's not the people you're talking to who are stealing the money. You need to ask the people for a more uh, robust financial accounting of the company. And when you do that, they're going to find this. And he did that and they did find it. And the company closed within a few months because a, a, a family member had embezzled so much money. And so how do you even go about, I would say you're probably not connected closely to this business or. The oh, I didn't know them at all. So and, and I you, didn't even you, know the name of the company at the time. I just followed the energy from him to them. So I is, still don't know the name of the company. Wow. That's <laughs> yeah. So is that just, is that more of a spiritual thing or is that a, a listening to the universe as a whole and, and you're just channeling down the right avenues? Okay. So, uh, there are two different aspects of what you're asking. And so you're actually being very insightful about this. Uh, there are two different ways to use your third eye. There's the transmitter and then there's the receiver. And the receiver is the part that you use when you are picking up on the universe as a whole. Okay. So for instance, uh, if you're picking up on a general concept of, uh, you know, things like you walk out the door and you're like, oh, I should bring this with me. I don't know why. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'll tell you a story about that in a minute. But the transmitter is what you do when you send energy out with a specific intention. And that's what you use to go look at things like the Akashic records or to go check out a person or to go check out a company. And it's also what you use when you're reading timelines and things like that. And so the receiver side is more like my business partner was getting ready to go on a trip uh, to see her brother. And she had, it was a two and a half hour flight, no big deal. And she is a a consummate traveler. She's She was a corporate traveler for years. And so she packs very lightly. And at some point, just before she was leaving, I felt the need to go pack a bag of food for her. And I was like, I need really high protein stuff. And I was like packing this tiny little paper bag, one of these small paper bags. And I wanted to give her a bigger bag, but I knew she wouldn't take it. And so I was like, okay, I'm stuffing this thing as tight as I could, as tight as I could. And I handed it to her and she's like, what is this for? It's only a two and a half hour flight. It's not a big deal. And I said, just, I don't know. I don't know. Just take it. You just, you need to have it. I said, I want to give you more, but I know you won't take more. She's like, yeah, I won't. And I'm not taking this unless it fits in my bag. And I'm like, okay. And she shoved it in and it barely fit in her bag. I was like, okay, great. So, you know, she goes to the airport and whatever, everything's good. And then I get this text from her like nine hours later. And she said, I'm still in the airport. Everything that sells food has been closed for hours. I've eaten everything in your bag and I could have eaten more. Thank you. Wow. Okay. (laughs) Her flight had not even left yet. And so this is what I'm talking about with the receiver side is I didn't even know what it was. I just knew I had to do it. 
So is this something that someone who's not actively practicing shamanism and has the knowledge that you have, is this something that that they can learn fairly quickly as a day-to-day kind of insightful? Well, let me rephrase that. In a way, and 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 you're probably using words that that not everybody understands to the level that that you mean them by. So when people say, "Well, I have my gut intuition," right, is that all part of the same thing? Like, can somebody learn? Like, let's say somebody listens to this show and then go out and in that morning they know they have a decision to make what is a practical principle or simple step that they could take as as if you could tell them one thing to be more aware to bring that awareness in about this thing they're trying to make the decision of do you have anything that that can just give them give anyone you know more reassurance or confidence in their own intellectual you know decision making in that situation if you will yes and it involves not being in your head. So uh, it, it stops being intellectual. So here's here's the thing. You said it when you said gut intuition. And it, what it actually is, is it's not about being in your head. It's about being in your body. If you can't go out and do all of the complex stuff that I do, then what you need to do is rely on your somatic response and somatic meaning your embodied response. Okay. And we all have senses of this. We get them, but we we usually only get them when they're really bad. So like you have this really bad feel about feeling about something. That's why so many people didn't sail on the Titanic, right? They just had a bad feeling, right? When you have that feeling, you're embodied, right? If you pay attention to your body, if you stay in your body, stay out of your head, and you just like just imagine getting on an elevator and going down into your body and staying in your body and just, you know, put a, put a stop button on the elevator, right? Don't let yourself go back up into your head and just be in your body and be with the question. And I'm, I'm phrasing that purposefully the way I did be with the question, because you can't think about it because that's in your head. You can't wonder, is this right or that right? Right. You just be with the question and then you imagine your life if you did it, And then you imagine your life if you didn't, okay? Now, when I say imagine, I mean very lightly, right? So you just go, what if I did this? And then you feel in your body. You don't like, this is not a visualization. This is not a manifestation visualization where you want detail and emotion and everything. No, 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 that's not what we're doing. You go, what if I did this? It's just a question. And then you add, then you wait for your body's response. Now I say this, but you know, people will come back and say, well, I didn't feel anything, but then I'll say, well, but what happened for you? And they'll say, well, my hands tingled or, well, my, my, my stomach hurt or, well, you know, and that is a response, right? That, that is, you're not going to get a, an overarching thing. Your body's going to do or feel something, right? And it, you know, it, it was like back in the days where I was first getting started and I couldn't make a living doing this. And I kept thinking, oh, I need to just go get a job, right? And I would go and I would put my resume together and I would send it out to one person or I, maybe I didn't even send it out. And I was just, my body just went, I feel like I'm dying, right? I was like, I can't put this out because I feel like I'm dying. And, you know, there's, you know, it will not always be that strong right? But you may get an indication in one direction or another. If you get a warm feeling, 
then you're, it's probably a good choice. If you get a cold feeling or your stomach hurts or, you know, your, your feet hurt or your hands hurt or something, something shows up, you start sweating or, you know, there's, you got to pay attention to everything happening in your body for this to work. But, you know, most people I find when they haven't done this before, they will write off all of those things and say, well, I didn't feel anything. Right. So just keep that in mind. And as for developing it, you asked, how do you develop it? A, a simple, easy way to develop your intuition is just to do a walk by intuition. Just walk through a, a city street or you know, a neighborhood and just when you get to a corner, don't know where you're going. Just ask your body which way it wants to go, right? And then take that direction and just do those kinds of walks on a regular basis. And what you're going to find is that it will it will over time, begin to put you in the places in front of the people that you need to be in front of. Wow. So you're you're saying something as simple as, let's say it's a Friday night and you have options, but you walk out, and I live in the city. So, you know, you walk outside and you have every direction that you can go to and you just simply say, where do you want to go? And you go there. And, right. and, you, and, and that's a, a repetition and practice thing that, that would just make it get better. And is, and is that what you mean by getting out of your head? Yes. Okay. And, and is the reason for that? Because is it more so because our heads are trying to protect us where the rest of our body, are you saying the rest of our body is more positioned to enable us to do what we're supposed to do more so than, than just our intellectual being side of oh. us? So our mind, yes, our mind has protective instincts. It also has limiting beliefs and stories and, you know, history and all this other stuff that it's it's trying to manipulate and cogitate and control, right? It has all of our control mechanisms. And, you know, being able to use your, your intuition is about stepping into a trust relationship with the universe, right? And to being able to trust that your body, your your intuition, the universe, your guides, whatever you want to call it, uh, whatever aspect you're using at the time, uh, trust that, that, that they're going to give you good information, right? And the mind will question everything to death, right? It's like having too many cooks in the kitchen, yeah. right? And so the body is connected to the spirit and the spirit is where all of this stuff resides, but we find the energetics through an embodied experience. You can find the energy through meditation. And, you know, a lot of people try and go up and out of their bodies and have a spiritual experience out there. And that's great. There's nothing wrong with it. However, it's limited because you'll only have it while you're out of your body and you spend most of your life in your body. Right. So I, rather than teaching people that path, which is, it's kind of a, it's a shortcut, but it's very limited. Uh, I teach people the embodied path because that's the one you can live and eat and breathe all day, every day. Okay. Right. So when, when people are trying to heal um, uh, past traumas that they might not even know that it's a trauma yet, or when you're talking about um, healing from addictions, that type of thing, what is a go-to that somebody can, can use what you're teaching and kind of maybe is there such a thing as speeding up the process oh, because absolutely. of the awareness level? Yeah. Yeah. Um, in fact, that's exactly what I've done with the work that I do is I took 25 years worth of my growth work and I wrote it all down and then I compressed it into what is about two and a half years right now. 
So yeah, you can speed it up. You asked about trauma and addiction, and those are different things. So I'm going to give you the addiction piece uh, because the trauma piece is really broad. But addiction is actually taking a wound that is in the third chakra, which is usually a wound around self-worth, right? And shoving it into your pleasure center in the second chakra, and then trying to fill that wound with whatever the addiction is. And it's never going to work because you're, you're trying to fill it in the wrong place, right? Mm-hmm. And so to solve the addiction issue, you're going to have to, one, stop doing the addictive behavior because it's not going to work. To pull that issue back up into the third chakra or fourth chakra, sometimes it's a heart issue as well, you know, feeling like you're not lovable or whatever, uh, and then uh, healing it in its correct space, right? So can we stop there for a second? And when you talk about, you know, someone who's in, who is addicted to something and it's obviously not working, so, so now they know, like, we have to stop this because, like you said, they're, they're trying to force one thing into another that's not working. But we also know that habit creates habit. So meaning if you have a habit of an addiction, if you will, mm-hmm. then now you have to replace that. So what's your advice on, say, someone is an alcoholic and, and they know they're addicted and they know this isn't working and they might even be working with you in that sense. But how do you replace the, the alcohol consumption, the alcohol time, that pleasurable feeling that maybe did give them? How do you replace that pleasurable feeling with something else to eliminate the pain of the the cause if that do, do you follow what i'm saying i i do and the question comes from a place of of i mean it's a good question and it's one i get a lot it's just it, the the thinking behind it is not the thinking that you need to have to solve the problem so it's it's that whole einstein thing the pro, the the thought that you use to create the problem is not the thinking that you'll use to solve it um the the goal isn't to replace the pleasure the goal is to eliminate the pain. Okay. And so you can't, I mean, pleasure comes from a lack of pain combined with the ability to receive good things, right? And wow. so if you don't remove the pain, which requires looking at it, I mean, you've got to be honest with yourself about it. You've got to look at it and go, yeah, I'm in pain and this sucks, you know? And you have to look at the pain. You have to, believe that there is a way out of it. And then you have to be willing to walk that path. Right. And those are three distinct steps. Okay. Right. Wow. Okay. I like that. That's, that's taken. Yeah. Cause you've just showed how so many of us think more intellectually, like what makes sense, what doesn't make sense. And and you're going much further, much deeper than that to, to eliminate the the problem. So in, in that same sense, when it comes to trauma, what is trauma? Trauma is having an experience that your brain can't process and leaving a piece of yourself behind as a place marker until you can process it. But aren't there people who go through their entire lives and never process it? Yes. And they go through their lives with pieces of themselves left behind. And so how do you make, how do you ensure that, that you don't go through life like that? How do you, how do you, because I feel like, and correct me if I'm but so many traumas, people don't even know that that's what it is. You know yeah. what I mean? And so yeah. 
how does one find out if it is a trauma reaction or because trauma, correct me if I'm wrong, it may also have taken place of what that, that your memory has kind of shut down and maybe reliving a similar experience might wake it up again or something like that. But like, is there anything like that? Or, or is, is trauma always something that you're more aware of? Oh, no, there's lots of people who have trauma that they're not aware of. So most people think of trauma that you're not aware of as being, you know, something that your mind shut down and doesn't let you know about. But Mm -hmm. in my experience, the trauma that people don't know about the most is the trauma where they experienced emotional abuse combined with gaslighting. And so it was emotional abuse. And then when you responded in an appropriate way to emotional abuse, which is, wow, that hurt, or, you know, you're being unreasonable or whatever, you were gaslit to say, you don't have a right to have that feeling. What are you doing? I'll give you something to be upset about if you want it, or, you know, that's not what I said or all of that. Right. And so about 30% of the people who, who I work with are in that boat where they, they didn't recognize themselves as having had a challenged childhood in any way, but they knew they had all the symptoms, right? They had that fear, that anxiety, that worry, that dread, that doubt, that judgments, the, the control patterns, the perfectionism, the, the feeling like a fraud, the, you know, the, all of the, the pieces, the not being able to celebrate your own successes, the overworking, the need to, to push yourself over and over again, right? All of those, those pieces are symptoms of trauma, right? The, the hypervigilance, if you can repeat a conversation with someone verbatim, and it's not because you have a memory like the lady on unforgettable, right? Because it's just, you know, unless you have that, if you can repeat conversations verbatim, you are hypervigilant. You know, if, if, uh, oh, there was another example that came into my head a minute ago that, oh, if you have a plan, a backup plan and a backup plan for your backup plan, you're hypervigilant, Right. And so these are all symptoms of having had trauma. And so, you know, that's a good indicator for you to know that that's the case. So you said something a few minutes ago or seconds ago about, you know, people sometimes feel like a fraud. And, and I hear this a lot in, in my space or our space. I'm sure you may too as well. It's like in, in the entrepreneurial world or when someone has an idea and they finally go for it, then there's that moment if you will, just before your launch, it's like, what am I doing here? I don't belong here. I don't belong in this space. I'm a fraud or whatever, even though that may not be the case. Are you saying that if someone deals maybe with some of this stuff first, then you have a better sense of, of who you are and why you're here to the point that those questions may not even arise? Yes, with a caveat. So anytime you're doing an identity up-leveling, which Anytime you're going to launch something new, like you've never done it before, not necessarily if you're launching a new program and you're already somebody who's out teaching, but if you're stepping out into the world for the first time and teaching, if you're up-leveling your perception of yourself, you will run into fears and doubts and worries and dreads and all this other stuff. And especially if you're doing something in the spiritual world, you will also often run up against, I was killed for my gifts in another life and I don't want it to happen again. So that happens a lot for people in the spiritual world. Once you have learned how to do this work, navigating it becomes so much easier 
right? I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm up leveling my identity right now. I'm stepping into CEO in my company. I'm stepping out of entrepreneur into business owner. I'm hiring team like it's going out of style because my business has taken off and things are going well. And, and I'm up leveling. And in this process of up leveling, I'm running into doubts and fears and, you know, what ifs and all this other stuff, but I have all the tools to navigate that. And I can say, oh, look, yeah, okay, I'm hitting my resistance. And here's what my default resistances are, because that's one of the things that we work with people on is identifying, you know, you know, there's a whole ton of different resistances, but these are the ones that I tend to go to. Everybody's got their own and going, okay, I'm here. All right, I'm in my resistance. Let me go and, and work on that, right? And I have all these tools to be able to do that. And so that's the differential. It's not that you never have these experiences. It's that they don't overwhelm you because you know how to deal with them. Yes, I like that. So so it's I really like that because it's, it, you're not saying that I don't have the same thoughts and fears in a sense, but you have the tools to deal with them. And it's basically just teaching your job is... You- you're teaching people, you're giving them tools that they didn't have prior in order to address the everyday situations that we all face. Yeah. And so it shortens the amount of time that you go into panic or overwhelm or, it, you know, instead of spending weeks in it, you spend, you know, an afternoon in it or an hour in it or whatever um, before you recognize it, depending on how strung out you made yourself in the first place. Because typically when we're going into our resistance, we'll often overwork to avoid thinking about it. And then we we're not as conscious because we're overdone. Right. So right. Uh, you just, we're coming up on time, but you just opened up a can of worms that I have to at least okay. ask about, because I feel like I could talk about this for hours only because of different experiences I've had in my life. But you said something to the extent that when people have lost their spiritual gifts in a previous life and they don't want to relive that. So do you believe and this isn't a yes or no answer, maybe, but that there, that there, we do live different lives and the experiences and some things good and bad from previous lives can still haunt us to our current life. Absolutely. And because yeah. I've, I've thought about that so much in my life and I've even had someone and one of my friends told me one time, he said, and I've thought about this a lot because it's very powerful in a way. He said, what if, what if we are, living lives and then we die and then we just live another life. But because of the different lives that we've had, we get better each time because we've, so is there, do you feel there's something to that? Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I can give you two different examples. Uh, One is a friend of mine who she kept swearing that she didn't know anything about energy work and that she didn't know anything about ritual. She didn't know anything about magic. And, and then we would go to do something together and she would have put together the perfect things. Right. And, and I kept looking at her going, but you don't know anything about this really. And she's like, but I've never learned it. I'm like, but you know, it in your being, you know, it. And for like two years, three years, I was like, she was like, you're my teacher. I'm like, no, you're my sister. She's like, you're my teacher. I'm like, no, you're my sister. You are an equal. You just aren't acknowledging it yet. Let's do the math here. And so, so, you know, but it was stuff she was remembering from a past life. Right. And so that's something on a good side. And on the other side was, uh, I had another friend who was trying to publish her website and she just couldn't do it and couldn't do it and couldn't do it and couldn't do it. And I finally said, just come over. And I sat her down and I was like, okay, what's going on? And she's like, I just can't, I can't. And I, I felt into the energy and I was like, yeah, you, you're, you were killed really badly in a past life. I said, they really, they hung you badly. She was hung for her gifts. And she's like, yeah, I still have neck problems in this life from it. 
And I said, yeah, I could see that. I said, and I looked through the timelines and I was like, you know, I can, I said, I can't guarantee you won't be killed for your, your gifts in this life because I, I can't see that clearly, but I can clearly see that you will not be hung. And she said, oh, I won't be hung. I said, no, it's more likely be a gun if it's going to be anything. And she's like, oh, I could do that. And she hit publish on the website immediately. Really? Yeah. That's so crazy. So I, this is a whole different, another trail that this is going to go down, but the, what do psychedelics and that have in, in common? Or what is it about psychedelics that sometimes I'm only asking that question because I am a curious person. And I tried psychedelics one time and it took me places that I knew I was supposed to be in previous lives uh, that, that I felt at home at, meaning they weren't strange, put it that way. You know, you hear people sometimes when they try something and they say, well, I've seen all these crazy uh, objects and things and, and whatnot. And for me, and I've only done it one time, uh, but for me, it was very, very clear who I was, where I was and what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And there's places in America to this day that I can go and I've never been there before. And I've done this multiple times. And it's when I get there, my shoulders drop and I'm at home and I know that I'm at home. And I think there's something to that, but what is it about psychedelics? And is that a safe venture if someone is going to go down that way and trying to figure out some of their past traumas maybe, or, or different things that brings them to you? Have you ever looked into that? Well, so the, the question is, you're using the term in a broad scope, and I want to be clear that the, there are two different types of psychedelics. There are uh, natural plants that That's what have I mean. psychedelic properties, and then there are things like LSD and ketamine and things like that, right? Those about are natural resources. Okay, natural medicine plants, right? Sure. Because they're very different, okay? Right. And do... Do things like ayahuasca and peyote and mushrooms, do they offer doorways? Absolutely. The thing that I would caution you about is coming at them from a curiosity place rather than from a a teacher-student place because these plants have their own uh, identity for better lack of a better word, they have their own, they are, they are teachers. And if you come at them from a place of curiosity, you're like an adult ed student auditing a course who isn't invested in it. And the teacher may or may not be entertained by that. Right. Ah. And so you may have a very bad experience because the teacher may not appreciate your lack of commitment to the process. And so, you know, I've seen people come out of ayahuasca journeys completely broken. I have done some serious healing work on people because they were, they went in unprepared. They didn't have any tools to be able to understand what they went through. And the people who walked them through didn't have any idea how to get them out the other side. And so, you know, I usually do not recommend that people do these pathways unless they have a serious amount of of tools in their toolkit before they do that. And I don't do it as part of my practice because I get there in other ways. So if you ask me what I think your experience of that particular thing was, that there's there's a zero point energy and in physics that says that we are all in the eternal moment of now, right? That that time and space don't actually exist. They're an illusion. Mm -hmm. And so literally all of our lifetimes are happening at the same time. 
And as you talked about your experience, I could follow the energy of it. And what it said to me was that you actually dropped into one of those other lifetimes as part of your journey. And that the the site for you, I don't know what, what you did, but the it broke the barrier between those worlds for you um, for that time frame. And, and it that's was, why. It was very comfortable for me. And not because I, I just didn't know, you know, but looking back, it changed my life in a lot of different ways. It changed how I look at a lot of things. It changed how I look at spirituality, Christianity, and all those things. And and I would say it's one of the best things that ever happened to me. Now, yeah. I've never trusted, to your point about being prepared, I have never trusted going there again, and I never have. Uh, but I'm glad that I did. Because yeah. it, it opened my eyes to a much broader view of understanding or not understanding, understanding that there's a lot I don't understand, rather, I guess. It's yeah. Well, and I, I find that you, there must have been a point that you were at in your life when you did it that was that you were open to change, that you were ready for change. Because yes. you can't walk into one of these journeys without being open and ready to change and have a good experience. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's, it's not your option. So don't do it as a, as a, you know, I'm curious and my friends are all going. And so I'll do it with them. Don't do that. That's, that's a surefire way to, to end up with something that you may not be excited about. Yeah. Good advice. Well, I, our time is up, but this has been, there's so much more. I'd love to dive in there. Um, I know this has been such a great conversation. I'd love to talk more too. <laughs> it was it was really good for me. I have a list of questions here. I never even got to one of them. Uh, you're really good at what you do. You're really good at describing and, and helping people understand. Uh, you know, I feel like we live in a world that sometimes if you say, hi, I'm Kelly Sparta and I'm a spirit doctor and a, and a transformational, you know, shaman and all these things. And then people, there's a, a part of the Western civilization, at least, that blocks that out. And they say, well, I don't understand that. So I'm not going to go there. And you're really good at defining what you do and helping helping people like me understand the importance of that. And I've really, really enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, I, this is this has been a fantastic conversation. I don't usually get to talk at this level. So I really appreciate you and, and where you've allowed it to go. So thank you for that. Absolutely. We'll have to do it again on the the after and before life sometime topic because I'm very I love that in that. Well, Kelly, how can our supporters or our listeners and my supporters and they how can they find you, follow you? Uh, what's the platform you hang out on most uh, as far as interacting with you? And you obviously have a website too, and all these things will be put on the show notes as well. Yeah, so um, I have a podcast. It's called Spirit Sherpa, S-H-E-R-P-A. And you can find it at spiritsherpapodcast.com or on any of your podcast platforms. And my website's kellysparta.com, but I hang out most on, I, I actually, I have a TikTok account, <laughs> yeah. um, but it's, it's kind of a little bit of just me, me messing around and, and uh, it's, it's where I like to hang out. It's not where I do a lot of my, you know, sending people out information and whatnot. So most of that's done on Facebook and Instagram. But uh, if you want to get to know me as a person, then TikTok's where you will find find me talking about my life. So, okay, awesome. Well, we'll put all these all those links on the show notes as well. And again, I just really thank you for being here and for doing this show. I, I've really enjoyed it. Oh, I had a blast. Thank you. Thanks again for tuning in to the Ultimate Shift. Look, I know life is crazy. Life gets busy. 
and we all kind of have an idea of where we want to go and where we want to end up, but there's so many things that come up in between. And my goal with this show is to grab one thing from every guest that we can apply to our lives that help get us closer to our end goal. You can follow me on Instagram at Ephraim Glick, Facebook at Ephraim Glick, Twitter at Glick Ephraim, or you can go to the website at EphraimGlick.com. See you next time.